You're listening to Film School, the on-air online source for independent film, film that's changing the way we look at cinema and the world. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. Today we'll be speaking with Noah Baumbach, the director of Greenberg, starring Ben Stiller, a single 40-ish, just recovering from a nervous breakdown, malcontent at the crossroads of his life, who finds himself in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. House-sitting for six weeks for his more successful married-with-children brother. And in search of a place to restart his life, Greenberg tries to reconnect with old friends, but instead soon finds himself spending more time with his brother's personal assistant, Florence, mm-hmm. played by uh, Mumblecore star Greta Gerwig. That's, That's Florence, an aspiring singer and also something of a lost soul. Yeah. This mumblecore, by the way, this this yeah. this, this uh, moniker that they're sticking on a lot of these films. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, she's good. You don't know. I mean, I just think mumblecore. I, what is well, that? Well, they want to give themselves an identity, and that's All right. fine. All right. You can listen to our talk with Noah Baumbach, as well as interviews with Haskell Wexler, Harmony Kareen, Albert Mazels, John Sales, John Turturro, Guy Madden, Philip Glass, Frederick Weissman, and many more online at filmschoolradio.com. The thing about your kids is you're all kind of insensitive. I'm glad I grew up when I did. Because your parents were too perfect at parenting. All that um, baby Mozart and Dan Zane songs. They're so sincere and interested in things. There's a confidence in you guys that's horrifying. It's, you're all ADD and carpal tunnel. You wouldn't know agoraphobia if it bit you in the And it makes you mean. You know, you say things to someone like me who's older and smarter with this life air. I'm freaked out by you kids. <laughs> Hope I die before I end up meeting one of you in a job interview. film, Greenberg, our guest today, Noah Baumbach, explores the world of personal dreams unrealized, a character study that gets its depth and its humor from the contradictory nature of human beings as they collide with reality. Baumbach's films as a writer and director include Kicking and Screaming, The Squid and the Whale, and Margot at the Wedding. He also co-wrote The Life Aquatic and Roald Dahl's Fantastic Mr. Fox with Wes Anderson. Noah Baumbach, welcome to film school. Thank you. First of all, I just want to say, great film. I truly enjoyed it, and it really, really stayed with me. Now, now I know that in preparing for this, you, you did some uh, looking at some new Hollywood films of the 60s and 70s, John Schlesinger's Midnight Cowboy, played as it lays, and Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. What did you glean for the, from those films? Did you already have a, a set idea of where you wanted to go, or did you pick up things as you viewed those films? My approach was really to... to I wanted to do a personal movie about L.A. and, and, and show L.A. in a way that, that, that I saw the city and experienced the city. And I've always responded to a lot of those, those directors of that period, the way they treated L.A. I always felt they, really, they used it as a real city, not as an industry town, or sometimes L.A. is just used as a generic city. And I felt like L.A. was really... Uh, the culture at the time was really attacked in those movies. And, and um, 
uh, I don't mean attacked in a negative way. I just mean taken on by, yeah. by, by those guys. And so it, it was more for general inspiration. I mean, there were movies, in some cases, Harris Savides, uh, the cinematographer, and I looked at, at, from a technical standpoint, how they, they use the light or the way they, in The Long Goodbye, they flash the film and the, sort of some technical things that we were interested in. But it, they were more, uh, I suppose, sort of spiritual um, yeah. influences, personal movies that, that took place in Los Angeles. Now, let's talk a little bit about Harry Savides. He, he, you just worked with him on Margot's Wedding. Uh, and Am I correct in saying you flashed the film in Margot's Wedding? Margot the Wedding, we, we yeah. flashed the film, yeah. and we used, we used some very old lenses, too. Oh. Uh, so it had a it, it created a, a kind of, I suppose, a kind of rough-hewn, almost, uh, almost lookable photographs or faded photographs, and it had a... Um, it had a very specific and, and, and a hard look actually to control. It was a hard look to even replicate on the yeah. DVD. Um, on this one, we, we, we weren't as, uh, <laughs> as ambitious as that. Um, <laughs> Is that what uh, it was? Uh, it was you, that was too much work before? or, or were you? Well, were... it was a lot in the we, – we didn't do a digital intermediate when we color-timed, which is how most movies are color-timed now. And, and yeah. so we color-timed on film directly. And there was very little margin for error, so when you – you made one little correction, it, it changed it yeah. dramatically. And that was something we, we went through a lot of passes in the post-production on that movie to get it to look right. Now, now was there anything in particular that drew you to Harry Savitas, too? I mean, he's done uh, Jerry, Elephant Man, Last Days for uh, Van Zandt. Is there any, you know, were, were you watching those films or did you <laughs> meet him through a, through a party? I had always loved what he'd done. I mean, I think, I think, those, I think the, the stuff he's done with Gus is, are, is really... Those movies really look kind of amazing, and but he he he's always I think I think Birth looks amazing, which he did. Um, but the his, the thing about Harris is that he's always he's he's interested in the story on top of everything. I mean, he he comes at it the same way I do, which is he's brilliant enough that he could kind of do anything, and he could showboat and do I, I think any kind of movie as as pretty much as well as you could shoot any kind of movie. But he. He's not interested in showing off. He wants to tell the story, and so, you know, we met. We 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 met. You know, it's just an interview way, and uh, I just, you know, he's from the Bronx. I'm from Brooklyn. I think we we connected in in yeah. other ways too. We became friends, and I think we just come at movies and story very similarly. We have we, we're 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 a good match in that way. And he, his understanding of photography is sort of so beyond what. You know what I, I mean? I can say what oh, what about this feeling or this look? And he knows what to try. I mean, we we we'll do many tests in, in pre-production to to make sure that yeah. that you know this is the way we want to shoot the film. I have to say, in, in regard to Harris Savides, that I just loved Elephant. Uh, I thought that the way that the technical um, t uh, expertise that went into making that film work the way it did. Uh, was remarkable, not only on the part of Gus Van Sant, but on the part of Harris Savides as well. I yeah, you did it, a great job. It, it, there's something about the, the 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 feel of that movie that that really stays with you in in a way that that, that is even hard to codify. Yeah, how much of this film uh, did Jennifer Jason Lee, your wife, have uh, in, in bringing L.A. into the film? How much did she, how much of a part did she play in bringing in uh, in L.A.? I know she did the anniversary party. Did that inspire you at all, or did she always uh, kind of uh, lobby for an L.A. film, or is this all your idea? <laughs> um, 
all my ideas. All right. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, well, I think, I mean, first, she, she had a major, she played a major, um, I mean, her, her feel for L.A. was a major influence on me just in our lives because when we met, and she, she lived in L.A. when we met, and I lived in New York, and so I started to spend more time in L.A. with her, and, and she grew up in L.A., so she, she saw the city in a very personal way, and it was, it was a, you know, I, I had only knew L.A. coming out to have meetings or whatever, and so it was, it was a really new way for me to see the city, and I really started to appreciate it in, in yeah. a totally different way, and, and then I started to spend more time, so I started to have my own experience here, too. We weren't thinking about a movie. We were just living our lives at that yes. point. But the, then I had the idea of doing something in L.A. because I, I just felt like I wanted to, to explore these feelings I was having in the city. And, but, of course, I mean, The Anniversary Party, I think, is a great L.A. movie. I think it's another one in the tradition of those, those ones you mentioned earlier. I mean, I think it, it, it captures a certain aspect of L.A., that is so specific to the city. But she was also a big part of, of the writing of this movie. She's a producer on the movie. She was on the set. She, she's in the movie. I mean, she, she, in some cases, it's hard for me to know where my, you know, my ideas and her ideas begin and end. They all kind of merge. Yeah. So it was pretty much all your ideas. The short answer is <laughs> I do everything. <laughs> no, no I, 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 I love what we're talking about, L.A. I want to get away a little bit from that. Oh, but I on, do, can, I, can I just finish up in one thing? Sure. I have one L.A. question. Oh, okay, okay. Go ahead. And that is I really appreciate the fact that you filmed L.A. from a street level. There's something mm -hmm. – uh, uh, oftentimes you see films that have Los Angeles in them, then they can't resist the temptation to film, you know, the the observatory or the or right. the Grommens or something like that. But uh, to my point, just that opening scene with the, with uh, Florence driving down the street, yeah. right. I just thought it was just a wonderful opening and the music, and I just thought it was a terrific way to start the film. Yeah, well, later on in the film, I, I just want to thank you for including Balloon Man on La Brea in, in the film. <laughs> I've seen that for years and, and just, just yeah. loved watching it. Yeah. So as soon as I yeah. saw it, I knew where I was. <laughs> uh, uh, and you also used uh, Musso and Frank's grill. And I, I, yeah. I hear that that's the first time they closed down for a day uh, so that you could, uh, you know, at least uh, to film there. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you actually use some of the waiters there. That that was a shock to me because you know you have kind of a, a table angle shot of the waiter coming up, you know from mm -hmm. from the from the customer's position. I thought I know that person. That person <laughs> works there, and it turns out that you'd use the the waiters there too. So can you just talk about a little bit about how that scene was set up? Yeah, well, I mean that was our approach really everywhere we shot, which was uh, to use the people who were there. We also used patrons of, of the restaurant as um, you know as extras and. Uh, I mean, I, I, I find it, it's a somewhat counterintuitive tradition in movies that you you pick a location and then you go there and then you rent it out and change everything about it and bring yeah. in new people and fake people. And and my feeling is, uh, particularly in a movie like this, which is really about the texture and the, the specifics of the city, is if you're going to use a place like Musso's, let's use the whole thing. Let's Let's use the real waiters. Let's use the real patrons. We did that at Lucy's Al Adobe also, yeah. and uh, and we did it with all the street stuff too. I mean, we really, when Ben is doing errands on the street or, or Greta's driving and at the farmers market, those are all real. That we didn't, we didn't, we just put them in those places and shot it. Right. And I, I I find, I mean, you mentioned Midnight Cowboy earlier. I mean, that that's a movie that that I love the energy of how the street scenes are shot in that movie because you can tell that they're really just walking on the real. You know, New York Street with New York people, and it's not, 
blocked off and they're not extras pretending to look at their watch or whatever, you know, or talk them. You know. yeah. uh, and, and for me, there's a, you get an energy that even if people don't technically know they're, they're watching something in, in the real world, I think there's an energy that, it, that changes how you experience those scenes. And, and as you point out, I mean, you have a place like Musso's, it's, it's, you, you want to you try and, I do anyway, sort of approximate the real experience of eating there. Jennifer has said this to me, she, that she tends to hate restaurant scenes in movies because they always feel fake. And, you know, I, I uh, for some reason, tend to keep writing restaurant scenes into my movies. <laughs> and uh, so it's my task to try and make them feel real. Uh, how did the story come about? Where Now, you'd mentioned that Jennifer Jason Lee had been helping you with it, or you had been working on it with her together. But where did the story come from? The story, I mean, the, the the actual plot of the movie or the sort of trajectory of the movie came over a long period of time. I really started with the characters. I had an I I had been working on it on a on the Greenberg character, in some cases without knowing I was working on it. I, he had turned up in other things I'd been working on a play I had started, and but there was something really compelling to me about this guy, this guy who couldn't get out of his own way, who who was, uh, in, in some cases, disappointed with his life, but not able to acknowledge that he was disappointed with it. And, uh, and then the Florence character also was someone I had been wanting to write about, a, a woman I had knew in my life and hadn't seen so much in movies. And then I had the Los Angeles idea. So the three of those sort of three big elements, I suppose, were what I started with. But it, the rest of it really was a long period of drafts. And I, I, I think that this one, both in the writing stage and in the editing stage, I, it was the most rewriting I've done on anything to this point, because it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a nuanced development. I mean, you know, it's about a guy who's maybe changing or just, just able to see his life almost five degrees differently by the end, yeah. which in the context of this movie is a huge thing. Um, I think in the context of life, it's a huge thing. But in a movie, we're used to seeing people, you know, yeah. Yeah. rescue somebody from a castle or something. So you're, you're, because of that, it took a long time for me to find it. Well, and in that regard, you, you, you said you took a, it took some time to write this film and this character. At what point did do you did you see Ben Stiller as as Greenberg? Well, I had written the character initially. I'd written the character ten years younger in the early drafts. He was thirty, and it, and it was different. It was a different kind of movie. Uh, less was at stake in a lot of ways, but I don't know that I knew that then. Uh, and when I was thinking about who I wanted to play it, I kept uh, Jennifer and I and Scott Rudin, who's producer on the movie, would talk about Ben and you know, wish he were 10 years younger. And <laughs> finally, I thought, well, because I really couldn't find the right person for it. I gave it to Ben. I had met with Ben before, and we had talked about wanting to work together. But And he, I gave it to him anyway, because I thought, well, maybe he could play it somewhere in the middle. He could play like 35 or something. Okay. And but Ben connected to something in the movie, but he agreed with me that the character was too young. And so Jennifer and I reattack the script and I think this, this thing that can happen sometimes if you worked on something for a long time you hit a point where 
you're just almost fed up. You're just like, let's just like totally, let's just overhaul this whole thing and see what happens. <laughs> and so in that way, Ben was an inspiration for what was the final Greenberg character, which was the 40-year-old turns 41 in the movie. And it, it broadened the, the, the movie. I mean, it really made the movie, making yeah. him that age. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know that I would have done it. And I don't know that I would have made the movie in a way if, if Ben hadn't sort of come into the picture there. We're speaking with Noah Baumbach. The film is Greenberg. As an audience member, it infuses the film, his age and his place and his position where he's looking backwards and somewhat forward. It really infuses the film with that dramatic edge. It gives mm-hmm. that there's a there's a sense of desperation that is creeping in. I have to say, and I'm sure you've heard this with Ben Stiller in the in the title role, there was a perception, I'm sure, going into this that there would be a, a more of a comedic turn in this. But I have to tell you, he is just remarkable in that he does not let down his his guard in this film. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have to tell him to be more disagreeable, or, or does he have a, a good line on that? No, if if anything, I think I had to tell him, you know, you could be funny here. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, it, I mean, I'm serious because it, he he's so committed to the character. I mean, he he really he engaged so deeply with it that. Um, uh, you know, we really hit the ground running. I mean, we spent a lot of time rehearsing together, and 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 the character you see on screen really is a, I, I'd say, a fifty-fifty collaboration between the two of us. I mean, it's it's my words and my guidance, but he made it so personal, um, and. You know, that's the, that's the, really what's interesting. I mean, one of the, the major things that's interesting to me about making movies and, and working with actors is to, to to write something very specifically, something that I have a real sense of in my head, and then hand it over to them and have them make it their their version. And, uh, you know, when that works, and if you cast right, that's that's the, a real real pleasure in, in, in movie making. The, the, thing, the thing I think, though, I, I, that I also wanted, though, is I did want someone who knew, knew how funny the character was, because yeah. the character yeah. is, I suppose for lack of a better word, is, is you know, real, and, he, it's, and any humor comes from the character. The humor is not, there aren't comedic set pieces, uh, particularly, or, you know, it's, it's, it's all, the, 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 the humor and the pains exist simultaneously in this movie but yeah. um but i mean this was something i'd worked when when i worked with jeff daniels and squid and the whale i i talked to him about as well it, that i wanted an actor in both cases who who was a real actor who would play this part as authentically as as possible and but at the same time have whatever that thing is that people who have who who have good senses of humor <laughs> have who 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 are funny that that can run simultaneously and know where the, where yeah. where the humor is because yeah. I I in some ways I I still think of Greenberg as a comedy even though it's it, it's it's not maybe a traditional laugh out loud comedy yeah, yeah. well what it is it's a great comedy uh, it's 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 not. I always tell Mike, you know, laughter is the is lowest form of comedy. And it's not a laugh-out-loud kind of comedy. It's a comedy that you take home and it grows with you. Yeah. At least that's the way I feel about the film. I, it's something that sticks with you and it gives you a perspective on your own life uh, and, and turns uh, moments that you might take more seriously into comedic moments. So, so thank you for that. 
Uh, now, I wanted to. You were talking earlier about uh, Stiller's uh, character and just how a, a minor change is really a, a major major change when it comes to 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 his type of character development. You, you also you accomplish a lot of that, I think, in, in your editing too. You you had a nice pace to what was going on. You weren't af- afraid to to clip things for dramatic effect to to put the dialogue in a specific place in in the editing. Um, can you talk about a little bit about that and, and your work with uh, Tim Strito, the uh, editor there? Yeah, well, and 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 we 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 spent a lot of time uh, in the editing room uh, calibrating these scenes because it, it's the sort of movie where you need to pick your moments when you want to spend. I mean, just spending time with Greenberg by himself, walking through the house. Is is actually story in this movie, <laughs> so it's it's, a, it's about you know, what we were learning as we went was what what moments constitute story and when when is it too much when is it too, when 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 is spending too much time alone with him suddenly tipping the scale uh, when do we want to start moving faster uh, you know what what scenes play better. Uh, I mean, for instance, there's a scene with him and, and, and Jennifer in, in a restaurant, and oh, yeah. it's an awkward scene. And you know that scene is written, sort of has an ending, and then you leave the two characters sitting there waiting to get the check. <laughs> you know, and, and you know that's a scene where I felt like, well, it's it's more awkward in some ways. The scene ends, and then the scene begins again because it's like, well, now 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 what do they do after yeah. this, this? And and but then in other scenes, it's it feels like well, let's get out of it, let's get going, let's get you know, and 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 sometimes that stuff is in the script. I mean, maybe often it is, but sometimes you know we'll come to it in the editing, and Tim and I will will try a lot of different ways and and versions. I mean, the, the two movies I did before this, Squid and the Whale and Margot at the Wedding, were handheld and almost had a kind of, for lack of a better way to describe them kind of documentary feel about them they they were rougher uh and i did a lot of clipping scenes i mean i, I always like john cassavetes used to do that really well where he would like almost he would cut people off in the middle of sentences you know and <laughs> and i i always found that really dynamic and exciting and and i do i do some of that too in greenberg but greenberg does have more scenes of maybe a more european uh uh in, in their their languor I, I do. I, we, we, I've just got to mention Greta uh, again because uh, okay. I just thought yeah. she, she was just wonderful in the film. When, Did you and fall she was in love with her, she, such a great foil. Okay. Well, I fall in love with so many of these <laughs> on-screen neurotic actresses. I can't even begin to tell you. But the, the uh, but the, but she just is such a great foil for for Greenberg because uh, to me there's there's so much as she says that in the in the film you like me so much more than you know. Or I, I, I butchered that line. Then you line. think you do. Then yeah. you think you do. Thank you. And uh, and I think this, she's just wonderful as his foil in this film. Uh, you know, Mike and I were talking a little bit about mumblecore. Is that a fair word to use, or should uh, we use something else? Well, I don't take offense to it, but I think probably the all the individual directors who get lumped into that one <laughs> into that yeah. one banner probably take offense. You know, okay, but did, did she bring any of that to the film? Did you did you feel that in the film itself? Oh, I, I mean, I. I I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, she brought herself. Yeah. So I guess in that yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, not at all dissimilar to what what we were saying about Ben. I mean, Florence is she, she connected. I think on a very deep level to that character. 
I don't mean that that character is her. I just mean that I think she yeah. she, you know, she was able to uh, uh, find something in there that 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 she could really inhabit. And yeah. um, and Greta is a kind of. I mean, the, the the real thing about Greta is that I think she's actually such a good actress that I think people. But but she does it in a way that feels so unacted. Yeah. So I, people can almost mistaken her performances for being oh. She's just playing herself when, in fact, she's nothing like these characters. I mean, she's it's a really a great performance. And I mean that in, in the, as the highest praise. You know, just before we let you go, I, I, just a quick question. The, the catharsis, I guess you'd call it, that that, uh, that Greenberg goes through and, and a lot of your characters through the years have in part been fueled by drugs. Is there some sort of philosophy you take about that? Is, is that something is that something that kicks in that you've noticed to people that? One way or another, you don't want to do too much, but you want to do enough of drugs. There's there's a <laughs> an alcohol level that will that will take you to something else, or a, or a or a coke level, or a marijuana level that will bring you to to a new uh, realization of who you are. Is am I uh, uh, stepping out of bounds by asking you this? Well, as you're asking me, I'm trying to think. What are my other movies where people take drugs? Well, um, I, I would consider alcohol as part of it, and then go back right, to right. kicking and screaming. Yeah. You know? Right, right. That's true. And Nicole smokes pot, and, yeah. uh, Marco. But I, I well, I, I think certainly in the case of Greenberg, I guess in all in, in, in Nicole's character too, and and in kicking and screaming, there's an element of control that all these characters are trying to yeah. hold on to. Uh, there, I think they, in a very basic way, are struggling with 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 controlling. I think Greenberg would love to control his life. He would love yeah. to minimize as much of, of the unpredictable as possible. And of course, it's very hard to live in the world and, and do that successfully. So, and the older you get, the harder it gets. Mm. Uh, so, I think, you know, in this case, I was interested in bringing in the drug element, partly because it's also an element of youth. I mean, recreational right. drug use. Uh, you know the, the the way the twenty year olds at the party he at, that that that, that he's <laughs> yes. at are are using it more in a way he probably used it in college and you know so there's a there's a, a an element there of trying to recapture some kind of feeling of childhood or mm -hmm. I mean or his, his his college years but but I do think it's also for him it's it's both an element of freedom and then another prison you know it's it's something that uh, he you know, gets to let go, but he also starts to lose control in a way that, that becomes uncomfortable to him. And, and you know, I, I see that whole party at the end of the movie in some ways as a kind of, it's almost some kind of manifestation of his psyche, even yeah. though, I mean, it, in the movie it takes place in the real world, but it, yeah. it, I always sort of saw it that way, is that it's, it's, it's like both his fantasy and nightmare come to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful comedy, uh, and it's been great talking today. The film is Greenberg. Noah Baumbach, thanks for being a part of Film School. My pleasure. Thank you. For more information about Film School, upcoming guests, and archived interviews, go to filmschoolradio.com.